Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks today, again. I want to talk to you about what happened to the tithe. Can I tell you, last week was a pretty easy sermon to preach. All in all, we get to celebrate the Macedonians and talk about, but it's the tithe. The question, what happened to the tithe, is a question that everyone's asking right now in the churches and is actually quite a heated conversation in a lot of congregations. Um, and I think there's a reason for that. I hope to get to at some point. Um, but they... They largely contest it for this purpose. They say, Jesus never talked about the tithe, and because Jesus never talked about the tithe in his fulfillment of the law, then the tithe must, be a, must have been abolished. Well, I, I don't think that that's true. As a matter of fact, I, I completely disagree with that statement. Uh, Jesus came to fulfill the law, not negate it, and I will show you later as to why it was never a, intended as a law in the first place. The fact of the matter is, tithe, as we understand it, which is one-tenth of whatever God gives you, whatever God places in your hand, is an act of worship. I want you to take the word tithe out of your mouth and understand that tithe is an act of worship. Now, what is worship? Worship is the proper giving of reverence and adoration to God. So let me ask you this question. If, if tithe is an act of worship, and I believe that it is, and worship is the proper reverence and adoration that we give to God that he deserves, how is it that we're not giving all of our money to God? Because certainly he deserves all of our adoration. He deserves all of our respect. He deserves all of our reverence. All of us should be living, quite honestly, in abject poverty. Because when I think of all the things that God did for me, doing for me, has promised to do for me, it wants me to throw, it causes me to want to throw everything I have at God. But we also serve a gracious God that says, I don't want everything that you have. I don't want you to live in abject poverty. I want you instead to just give me 10%, just the tithe. 10% of what you're living on is all that God expects of us because 10% proves a thing that we worship God according to the way that God desires to be worshipped, which is our responsibility. It would be awesome if I could worship God how I felt God should be worshipped. My life wouldn't, well, it wouldn't be easier unless God said, hey, you can worship me however you want to. But it would be less stretching of me if I could worship God how I wanted to instead of how he wanted to. But the fact of the matter is we're obligated to worship according to how God dictates we worship. I'm going to read a text to you out of Deuteronomy chapter 12, 29 through 31. <clears throat> when the Lord your God cuts off before you, this is, this is talking about when they went to go take over the uh, promised land, when the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations which you are going in to dispossess, 
and you dispossess them and dwell on their land. So I'm going to send you in. You're going to dispossess them. You know that they fought many battles to to achieve and give, grab a hold of the promise that God gave them that is the promised land. People didn't just roll out of the way. They had to fight them. And so he says, when I give you the nations which you're going into to dispossess and you dispossess them and dwell on their land, beware. Everybody say beware. That you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed before you and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods that I also may do likewise? You shall not behave thus toward the Lord your God for every abominable act which the Lord hates, they have done for their gods, small g. For they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire of their God. There's a weird text for me to start a tithing sermon on. But let me tell you what this text says. We don't give like we should give because we've allowed other people to convince us that we're not obligated to give the way the Word says that we should give. We've answered this question, am I obligated to the tithe, with well, what do the Baptists think? Or what do the Church of Christ think? Or what do these people think? Or what do these people do? God says, you're not to do that. You're supposed to seek the face of God and ask God, you tell me, Lord, how it is you want to be served. Don't look around the other nations. Don't look around the other places and ask these questions because sometimes out of convenience, even some churches do, which is damnable according to God. They don't do as they're commanded to do. And so for us to determine what we're going to do based on what they are doing puts us in a place where we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping self and potentially other systems from other churches, other organizations, and the rest of our society. And that's why we get in trouble, not just in our tithe, but in everything. We have determined that other people's opinion matters more than God's opinion about the way we should do things. This church, if it doesn't do anything else, is going to live by this word. With that in mind, I'm going to ask you right now, I'm going to teach more than I'm going to preach today. I'm going to ask that you get out a pen and a piece of paper, that you take notes, because I've got a challenge, a significant challenge for you at the end that I'm not going to ask you to fulfill till next week. And the reason I'm not going to ask you to fulfill it until next week is because I want you to take the notes you take today and I want you to try to prove me wrong in Scripture all week. And then if you have a problem or have a question, bring those notes with you, set an appointment, and we'll talk through it. We'll discuss it. Don't be scared to challenge me, okay? Everybody all right? Because I don't care what other people are doing. We're going to do what God says to do. Our responsibility is to look into the Word and discover the proper way to worship. He is Lord, and as Lord, we have to trust Him. That is, that is, we must trust that He is capable of providing and protecting His own. So here's the real reason why the tithe is contested. Because most people don't believe that, that God's capable of providing for and protecting his own. If I, if I went into a room of 100 Christians and said, do, I, do you believe that God can protect you? 100 of them will say yes. Do you believe that God can provide for you? 100 of them will say yes. 
Then you look at them and say, would you live according to the word even where it's inconvenient for you? Half of them will say no. They won't say no, but they'll show their no. Our question is, do you believe that God is capable of providing for you and that he's capable of protecting you? And if the answer to that question is yes, then he deserves to be worshipped. And tithe is worship. 10%. That's I keep saying 10% because that's literally what tithe means. When I say I'm going to give the tithe, this is what I'm saying. I trust God's provision and protection so much that I'm going to give him 10% of what he gave me 100% of, believing that he can do more in my life with 90% than I can do with 100%. And I'll tell you, Angela alluded to it, we have proven God in that over and over and over in our own life. Literally from the first time we made a decision to start tithing, I think I told you all last week, the first month we started tithing, at the end of the month, we had more. Or we didn't have money at the end of the month. Matter of fact, we were usually negative. At the first month we started tithing, we had more money in our checking account than we gave in our tithe. It doesn't make sense, except that God is faithful to his word, that he's capable of protecting us, that he's capable of providing for us. And I'm going to caveat again one more time and say, I don't want anything from you. God expects from you because it proves that you believe him, that you have faith in who he is. And I know that's a hard thing. I'm going to go ahead and tell you at the very front, when you're struggling at 100% and God wants you to operate at 90% with a promise he can do more with that than you can do with your 100%, that takes a, that takes a leap, man. I told you guys last week about the, the gap between where you are and where God would have you, that's a gap of faith. That's the faith gap. You have to be able to breach that gap to get to the blessing that God has for you. It's going to stretch you. It's going to be inconvenient for you. It's going to cause you some discomfort. But you know what? I've never given my life to anything that didn't cause those things in my life that weren't worthwhile. Everything I've ever done, everything I've ever achieved, that it was good, it was worth having, cost me. My comfort, my money, my time, my passion, and God deserves the same from you, from us. Amen? All right. So I'm going to make this sermon teaching, I'm going to make it a teaching, to show that the tithe is still expected to us in four points. And I'm going to kind of do that topically because I need to, so be prepared to write down some verses. My first point today is Abraham established the tithe. Abraham established the tithe. Now that's weird to you, probably, if you think that the law established the tithe. Because that's what we hear. Well, the the tithe is according to the law of Moses, except for Abraham was the first person, person to tithe 640 years before Moses wrote the law. Why? Because Abraham recognized that his tithing was an act of worship, not an act of obligation. That which was not established by the law 
listen to me, this is important, because it was 640 years before the law, that which was not established by the law can't be done away with with the fulfillment of the law because it existed before the law. And I can prove this to you in Scripture and hope to. God sent, in Genesis, God sent Melchizedek, a priest of God, to bless Abraham after his victory over the kings. He went in to try to save his, his uh, relative Lot, was successful in doing that. As he was leaving those battlefields, in Genesis 14, 19 through 20, Melchizedek, it says, Melchizedek, he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God most high. I said Abraham, it actually says Abram, but we all know who that is, and just out of habit I say Abraham. So, blessed by Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So this priest of God comes up and says, goes up to Abram and says, blessed are you by God. God has ensured your victory. God has protected you. God has taken care of you. And then this is what happens. In verse 20b, he says, and he gave him a tenth of all. All of the spoils of war, Abraham gave a tenth to the priest. And I know we immediately think, well, the tithe is to the Lord, not to the priest. Listen, your tithe is to the church. Melchizedek is the representative of the temple of God. He is the priest. Christ doesn't, we don't, we don't have a Christophany at every offering where God says, give me your tithe. We do that in faith, recognizing that it's an acknowledgement of worship before God. Amen? And so he says 640 years before the tithe, he's blessed by God, he's shown victory by God, and because of that he gave God as an honorarium, as an as a act of worship, because he watched over him and took care of him. He gave him a tenth of everything he had. That's pretty profound. Abram paid the tenth as an act of worship for two reasons. First, he recognized where his victory was from. He recognized that God provided the victory, that God provided the protection. God truly did show himself as the banner that his word in Genesis says that he is. In Genesis, I'm sorry, in Exodus 17:15, Moses built an altar and named it The Lord is my banner. That's Jehovah, Jehovah Nisi. If some of you guys know what that is. But let me tell you what a banner is. <clears throat> Remember, Abram is returning from a battlefield. And God was his banner, his protector. Before the days of communication, before they could talk on radios, before they could call in air support from somewhere else, the commander of, a, of the military would go up onto a mountaintop with battle flags. And these battle flags would be different colors or different shapes and different stuff like that. And they would tell you, this color waving this way meant go to the left. This color waving this way means go to the right. Because from an elevated position, which is the transcendent view of God, He's able to help us see where we are strong on the battlefield, where we are weak on the battlefield. Where our enemy is presenting himself on the battlefield, where the enemy is 
weak in the battlefield so that we can overcome the enemy. That's what God does for us. And that's what God did for Moses. Moses recognized that he was that banner, that he was the victory that he had, and gave him a tenth as an act of worship. But not just for that, but because every good gift was from God. Whatever he received, he received from God anyway. James 117 affirms this. It says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. You know what that means? It means everything you have, good or great, came from God. But I love the fact that it says there is no shifting shadow in Him. That means He is immutable, unchanging, forever and eternally unchanging. If he did it for Moses, if he protected Moses, if he watched over Moses, if he was the banner of victory over Moses and Abraham, then guess what? He's the banner, the victory, the supplier, the protector of you too because he loves you as much as he loves them because he's not a, he doesn't prefer one person over another. That's the word of God too. This is the God that we serve. And he deserves worship, proper reverence and adoration from his people. We see this same thing, this same act of adoration in Jacob. <clears throat> and he does it in about the same way. If you'll turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 28, 18 through 22, I'm going to read this. So Jacob rose early in the morning. This is after Jacob had his dream of the angels going up and down the ladder. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up on a pillar and poured oil on its top. And he called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take, and, I will, and he will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all that you give me I will surely give a tenth to you. <coughs> Again, that's pre-law. Let me explain to you what Jacob's saying here just in case you missed it. He says, when Jacob made a vow saying, if you will be with me, if you will keep me, which is protect me, if you will provide for me, give me food and garments to wear, and return me to my father's house in safety, then you will be my God. If I can count on you to be everything your word says that you are, then I will serve you all the days of my life. And part of that service to you will be the proper respect and adoration you deserve, the proper reverence you deserve, and I will give you a tenth of whatever I have. The law didn't command that because the law hadn't been written yet. Guys, this is important. We're talking about the blessing that God has available to those who are obedient to his word. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But for now, I just want to set the foundation and tell you that the law didn't establish our obedience. Instead, the law ratified the tithe, which is point number two. Abraham established it, but the law ratified it. Because God deserves it, 
the law said this, this needs to happen. In Deuteronomy 14, 22, we read this. I'm going to go back to the law. Fourteen twenty-two through 27, and pardon the length of the text, but it is what it is. You shall surely tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. You shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to establish his name. The tithe of your grain, the tithe of your new wine, your oil, the firstborn of your herd and your flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. That is, reverence your God always. Now, you're all, man, I don't, I don't raise... I don't raise goats or cows or I don't grow wine. You know, I don't, I don't do any of that. What am I supposed to give to God? This was an agrarian society. This was a farming society. And so what came out of the ground and what came out of their field was their livelihood. And so you have to make the bridge and bridge the gap to today to say their livelihood they gave a tenth of. Our livelihood, we are to give a tenth of. Even if it doesn't look the same as it looked then, the principle is the same. Whatever God places in your hand and increases you in, God deserves a tenth of that. But he continues, I just wanted to explain that piece. <clears throat> if the distance is so great, because remember, it was an agrarian society. They couldn't get in their car and drive across the nation to, to, to the temple. If the distance is so great for you that you are not able to bring the tithe, since the place where the Lord your God chooses to set his name is too far away from you when the Lord your God blesses you, then you shall exchange it for money and bind the money in your hand and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses. Now this is going to mess you up, but I read it for context. You may spend the money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, or whatever your heart desires, and there you shall eat it. Now, this is a loophole if you ask people who don't pay the tithe. They say, well, it says right here that I could spend my money on my own desire. First off, let me start by saying you're not so far away from the temple that you can't get to the temple to deliver that to God, which is God's. Secondly, he says this, eat in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. Which means if you can't get to the temple, then you buy everything necessary to prepare a feast and in that feast glorify God during that time with your household, declaring that God provided those things for you in the first place. Does everybody get it? It's not a loophole. It's an opportunity for those who couldn't get to the temple to still worship God according to his standard with the tenth that he required of them. And then it says, invite, also you shall not neglect the Levite, that's the priest, who is in your town, for he has no portion to inheritance among you. So don't just worship the Lord through your tithe, but make sure that you take care of the priest that would normally be taken care of if you were at the temple in your provision. So if any of y'all want to invite me to dinner after this, just hit me up, let me know. I just play it. I got stuff to do. But that's, but that's the law. That's the law as it's stated. And God and God alone gets to determine how to be worshipped. That messes us up. Well, I don't like that. Nobody asked you if you like that. 
Well, I don't want to pay the tithe. Nobody asked if you wanted to pay the tithe. Nobody asked if you wanted to commit adultery or you wanted to kill somebody or you wanted to have a secondary God. No, God didn't care about that, didn't, didn't ask you about that. It's not his place to have to ask you how he's to be served. It's his place to determine you how, to you how he's going to be served because he is sovereign over all things. Sometimes the answer is because I said so. Didn't we used to hate that when we were kids? Right? Why do I got to do that? Because I said so. But let me tell you, when you serve a sovereign God and he says so, that's the only reason you need. And according to the word, he's the sovereign God. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And because of all of those things, he has right to say what he desires from us without any of our input. Just let that sit on some of y'all for a minute, because it had to sit heavy on me for a minute too. God's sovereign and gets to determine how he's going to be reverenced. He's sovereign. He gets to determine how he's going to be worshipped. It's our responsibility to give him what he's due. What's he do? He's due honor and glory. He's due the regard and the greatest respect we can give him, and he's due the glory, which is the full weight of who he is. Revelations 4.11 says, Worthy are you, O Lord, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. And because he does, he's due our honor and our glory, he's due our praise and our worship. And our tithe is an act of worship. Amen? Everybody with me so far? All right. So... Abraham established the tithe. The law ratified the tithe. But let me tell you, what you need in Scripture, a great hermeneutic, which is a big word for the way you interpret Scripture, is to determine whether it's a single incident or if it's normative behavior. I have to prove, if it's your obligation, that within Scripture... The tithe, or anything I'm trying to tell you, is normative behavior, which means it's seen more than once and can be, should be, and can be expected of all people who are Christians. And so I'm going to do that by showing you not just Abraham, not just Jacob, not just God through the law of Moses, but also that Malachi confirms the tithe. These are the texts that everybody reads to you when there's a tithing sermon because Malachi points it out pretty clearly, but I just want to cover some things real fast. In Malachi 3, 7 through 12, we read this. From the days of our fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Y'all remember that question because we don't teach that question first like we should. Will a man rob God? That's where we start. Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? 
says, how we robbed you, question mark, answer, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land says the Lord of hosts. Why did I tell you remember to question? Because the verse 7, the verse we don't teach in Malachi, says, From the days of your fathers, this is God talking, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. So God says, you've turned away from me. Return to me. And Malachi asked the question, how shall we return? You know what? If God says, you've left, you've left me, and so I've taken my hand off of you. And somebody asked the question, well, how am I supposed to return? We should bend an ear to that. We should listen to that. And you're going to see the rest of Malachi, he's going to tell them two things. He said, you robbed me in your giving. Return to obedience in your giving. And then he says, stop being arrogant and wicked. Let me tell you, arrogance and wickedness is an issue of worship. So he's titled First Things First. He said, how do, we, why do we, how do we return to you? You return to me by giving me that which I'm due. You return to me by worshiping me, by giving me the reverence that I'm due, the obedience that I'm due. And he begins talking about, about giving specifically. He says, but first things first, stop robbing me. You're cursed with a curse. Man, that rubs some people wrong. Do I think God curses his people? I, I, I don't. But God will, when you put yourself in a position that's contrary to his word, will lift his hand off of you. And his mere lack of the lack of his hand being on you will be a curse in your life because what keeps you is the loving hand the merciful hand the gracious hand of God and when you turn from him and he goes if this is what you really want then I'm going to release you to what you really want and I don't know about y'all but every time I've done that I wish I had so he says, stop robbing me. You've put yourself in a place to be a curse. I challenge you to go read Deuteronomy chapter 28. I tell you guys all the time, we serve an if-then God. If you'll do this, then I'll do this. And Deuteronomy 28 verses 1 through 14 are all, if you do this, then all of these blessings. And then 15 through the end of the chapter, he said, but if you don't, there'll be these curses. These curses are direct consequence of not doing what the first 14 verses do, said do. If you do this, then I will do this. But let me tell you, if you don't do this, I'm going to root my hand from you, and this is what's going to happen to you. Stop robbing him. Return to him. Don't be cursed. And bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. What? 
This is where, that's where I'm going to get a little rebuke. Whole tithe into the storehouse. Two things need to be said here. If you're giving 5% to your storehouse and 5% to your preferred ministry organization outside the church, you're giving a 5% offering to the somebody else and 5% offering to the church. You're not giving tithe to anybody. Tithe is 10% in the storehouse. Now, what's the storehouse? Pastor Jim, you can't prove to me what the storehouse is, but I can if you just do a little research. You'll see and find out that the storehouse was a room inside the temple where the treasury was kept to allow the ministry to happen, to take care of the widows and the orphans and all the things that the Jewish people were required to do. All of that tithe, the whole 10% of the tithe was brought into the storehouse so that the ministry from the storehouse might be able to be done. You know the great thing about bringing the tithe into the storehouse? When people say, and I'm not trying to be ugly, but this is just what it is, I give 5% to Red Cross. That's great. You know what Red Cross isn't going to do? Red Cross isn't going to say, Launch Point Church, who lives in your community, gave you this money so that you could know that somebody in this community loves you. When we say that, we say, so that you can know somebody loves you, that somebody is us, and we've been sent here by God who loves you enough to have sent his son to die for you. I'd love for you to come sit with me at church on Sunday. American Red Cross ain't going to say that. The little commercial where the dog's whining and crying and the music's playing in the background ain't going to say that. 10% into the storehouse is the requirement. Amen? All right. And finally, in confirming the tithe, God commands a blessing on his people. God promises to give and to stop the enemy from taking. This is important because it doesn't mean that your return will be financial, but it will at the very least be provisional. Man, God didn't put any more money in my pocket. Yeah, but did your car break down? Did you need a new refrigerator? Angela and I had a car break down not long after we started tithing. She went and prayed over this car. I thought it was the dumbest thing. I'll be honest with you, that's where I was in my life at the time. I look out my office window, and she's praying. She got her hands on a car hood. And she said, God, we, we was 160 bucks we had or something. We had like $160 in our account, and somebody told us that it was 1500 bucks or whatever to fix it. And she said, I got $160, Lord, if you can, if you can make this happen, whatever it is above or whatever, whatever we have left over out of that 160 Lord, I'll give to you, which is childhood childish faith but that's okay we talked to somebody else I think Miss Sylvia actually talked to somebody else found somebody that could fix it and it was like $140 we gave that $20 back to the church you know what it wasn't financial it was provisional God will bless you and then finally Jesus assumes the tithe the, the argument that I hate worse most than anything in the world is, well, you can't say that. Jesus never said such and such, or Paul never spoke about such and such. You know what he didn't talk about either? He didn't talk about elephants and giraffes, but elephants and giraffes, they exist. The Jesus didn't say that is a horrible way to interpret Scripture. 
The Bible itself says that so much of what Jesus did couldn't have been written in this book or, or volumes and volumes of books. So I can't make an argument based on something that wasn't said. Except that Jesus did have something to say about the tithe. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, that's woe to you, those who are righteous, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these things are the things you should have done without neglecting the other, that is the tithe. You know what that means to me? You know what that means, not just to me, but you know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, there are heavier issues than the tithe. And those issues are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But you can't even get first step stuff right. You can't even get tithing your cumin and your deal and whatnot right, which is just a sampling of what they should give, not a whole list. He says, you want me to bless the things that are weightier when you can't even do the first things? This is level one Christianity stuff. Because I have faith to believe that God can save me, I have faith to believe God can take care of me. Amen? And so I would ask to end this thing, are we neglecting the lesser thing? Because believe it or not, man, when it comes to justice and mercy and righteousness, tithing is the lesser thing. But it's an expected thing because God requires it as an act of worship. Amen.